Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. everyone welcome back to another episode of generation ag we're back with you again another phenomenal guest as always so we actually chatted to sarah Grote, and she works for farms of the future which as a development officer which is run by the department of primary industries which is actually the biggest ag tech program in the southern hemisphere and it helps farmers adopt ag tech across three million hectares which is really really cool in 2021, Sarah was informed by ABC Broken Hill that she'd actually won a campaign against the Far West Gas proposal, saving underground aquifers the size of Tasmania from hydrolauric fracture, which is amazing as well. She's a full go-getter. And she was actually recognised this year as a 2023 Xander McDonald Award finalist. She's super passionate about change making and she's such a go-getter in the agricultural industry. And it was such a pleasure to chat with her. And yeah, I hope that everybody really gets a lot out of this episode. Sarah, I know you are slightly jet lagged and you have been traveling around the world, but thank you so much for joining us on the podcast for 2023. I would love to chat to you a little bit about your childhood and growing up in the regions. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I grew up in a really small town. It's called, well, on a farm near there called Rankin Springs. It's about seven hours west of Sydney. The population said 112 for about 20 or 30 years. I don't think it ever changes, but I think the there's probably not that many people living there. I think that's a bit optimistic. We had a joke that we weren't really very far from anywhere, but we weren't super close to anywhere either. We're 80 k's from Hilston, 80 k's from Griffith, and they were the two big service centres for us. It's really beautiful country. I love the red soil. I love the microclimates around the hills. I love seeing the springs when it rains. It's really so beautiful, and we're so lucky to have property there and to have – I'm so lucky to have grown up there. We get gorgeous sunsets, amazing plants and wildlife, like including really rare ones like glossy black cockatoos or Malini fowls. The community is really small and tight-knit. Everyone knows what everyone else is up to. And there's a really brilliant collection of nicknames that I have not seen anywhere else from Bear to King Wally. And when my dad was growing up, there was a joke that the pub was a zoo because everybody had an animal nickname. (laughs) So it's a really unique community. I've never lived anywhere else like it. Um, I grew up on a mixed farm. We had black Angus cattle, merinos, crossbreds. Now we've still got the mixed farming system. We've got still got our beautiful black Angus cattle, but we've sort of swapped to dorpers, which is a very difficult decision to go from merinos to dorpers and very controversial, as <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, so my teenage years were during the millennium drought, which is pretty difficult, but built a lot of resilience. And um, I remember when I was younger, like being really excited to ride my push bike with my brother and sister through the dust storm and see how fast we could go with the wind and racing to pressurize the house for mum to try to keep the dust out. So it's a pretty unique way of growing up. And, you know, I think that it's really interesting what you do as a kid and what you do later on. I remember my brother had wheat crops under my mum's roses when we were younger and I'd help him irrigate them and help him grow them. And it's funny to go from that to being an agronomic consultant, which is what I ended up doing. Growing up on the land really fostered a love of being outside, animals growing things. Yeah. At 12, I went to boarding school. We were too far away to go to a local high school. 
Um, it would have been four hours on a bus, which is just a bit much. <laughs> and um, yeah, so in my holidays, I'd be super excited to come back to the farm and go exploring or help dad out. So yeah, it was really cool to be able to do that. It led me this love of agriculture and the land to graduating with first class honours with rural science. And then that evolved into a really, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't looking for a job. I got an agronomic position that was incredible in Walgett, New South Wales. And the experiences across Australia as an agronomist from Walgett to Kununurra on the Ord River, back home to Griffith and Hilston, has led to me being in this really unique role now where I'm one of Australia's first digital agronomists in an incredibly moving and shaking time of digital change for Australian farmers. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I guess the other thing that I've seen, though, growing up on the land is a big disparity in gender roles. My dad told me at a really young age that I'd have to work twice as hard as the blokes to get the same accolades or recognition, and he was spot on. It's an unpopular topic and most people shy away from it, but I'm a change maker and my career and in myself and this area is just crying out for it. But yeah, that was growing up on the land. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that in-depth journey that you've had. I'm curious to know, is agriculture always the industry that you wanted to go into? Was there any doubt in your mind? Like what was that sort of thinking and that indicated that it was the industry that you were going to focus your career on? Yeah, sure. When I first left school, um, I took a year off because I wasn't sure. I knew I'd have a job in agriculture and I thought I'll just have a sit out and have a think what else might be available to me. But I just always kept pivoting back to agriculture and that was an indicator to me that that's the career that I should be focusing on. And that led to, all right, what degrees are there and what should I have a crack at? And that love of the outdoors and learning led to that scientific exploration where I went for rural science and I really loved it, trying to understand all the natural systems, what's going on on the farm and understanding it, I think, led to being able to better manage it. And that was really important for that agronomic career. Yes, it's quite interesting, all of the little things that happen to us and when we sort of start to learn why we like the things we do and how it's come from our childhood, but then there's things from our adulthood. Like, it's really interesting. And you speak about your role now being a really, really unique one. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you are doing right now and sort of what your career trajectory has been over the last couple of years to get to the position you're at with Farms of the Future program. Yeah, sure. I might just start with the career trajectory then because I think that'll feed really nicely into my role. Um, Yeah, I worked as an agronomist from 2012 to the end of 2019. Then I moved moved to an outback station um, where I was involved in, you know, assisting with managing the station until all the way through COVID pretty much. I moved out in the last lockdown. I had a really traumatic experience um, around that time and it sort of led me to really reevaluate my life and where I was going and what I was doing. And I didn't want to go back to the traditional agronomic career that I'd had. I wanted something a bit different. I came back to the family farm, which was really amazing. And I'm so blessed to be able to do that. And yeah, living there at the moment, which is great. And um, I was helping out with the harvest. And one of the guys on the header was working for the government. And he said, why don't you have a crack at a role with the government? Like, it'll really help you out it's got great opportunities and we have really exciting projects. 
thought, okay, that sounds interesting. That's not really what I've associated with a government role before. So I took his advice and I had to look for different jobs. And there was this one with Farms of the Future, a development officer. And I had no idea what that was. It wasn't, it was very vague job description. So yeah, I just thought, oh, why not? I'll just have a crack. Farms of the Future sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. And it's developed. It's still evolving. My role changes every day, but I'll start with the program. So basically Farms of the Future is a $48 million initiative funded by the Snowy Hydro Scheme. It is money that can only be spent in the rural and regional areas. It can't be spent on a stadium in Sydney. And they're spending it on what they're seeing from a pilot program as a great need in the regions, which is for adoption of ag tech and connectivity solutions, which, you know, let's face it, we all struggle with it. I hate connectivity in the bush. It's just not a fun thing to go through. It's a real pain point. So yeah, the program's really aimed at addressing all those things. So we have learned all about the barriers to adoption of ag tech for, by farmers. They include a really wide range of things from, I don't have connectivity, why would I bother? Like if I can't get phone service and internet to my house, why would I bother getting a security camera, a weather station, a crop management device, water monitoring? Why would I bother? Like it's going to cost me an arm and a leg and I just don't even want to go there. Yeah. So all these, there's so many different barriers to adoption and our role is really developed around managing them. So as a development officer, I've been placed in the Griffith, Fleeton and Carathol LGAs, which is between two and three million hectares. It's a huge area and I've got over 1,500 farmers who potentially could come onto the program and, yeah, who I can support with digital uptake and as a digital agronomist. So through that role, I'll be um, establishing a demonstration hub, which will reduce that barrier to adoption of, I don't know if this stuff works, I've never seen it before. So you can come and see it, you can play with it, you can virtually view it. Yeah, and I'm in the in the middle of establishing it, which is really exciting. So I'm in the fun part now where I get to buy stuff. <laughs> I mean, I've identified three really massive areas of pain points for farmers in the area, and the top one's obviously connectivity, especially in the Carathool LGA where I grew up in. And the next two are water monitoring is a huge one across all of the industries. And then the other is WHS, OHS, security, how do we be safe? And that is a huge one for a lot of farms. There's a lot of red tape now in our farming world. A lot of people say it's one of their biggest um, limitations. And so we can support devices that'll help with that, which is fantastic. So another big component of the program is training. I've so far taken over 70 farmers through our training program for ag tech. The whole purpose of it is to create a plan for your farm of what ag tech devices or connectivity solutions you might need. And it might be something totally out of the box that you might not have thought of. When I say connectivity, I'm not just talking about phone service. I'm talking about Bluetooth. I'm talking about a whole range of solutions that you might not have even heard of before that might suit you from LoRaWAN to whatever else it might be that might just solve your problems on farm. So yeah, it's really exciting. And um, yeah, the training program is part of eligibility criteria for grant, which is another stream of the program. And another really exciting one that we've just done is we've announced 51 companies who have come on board with us. We are creating an ag tech catalogue with them that has hundreds of devices in it. We've all been reviewing them. And a farmer can get into that catalogue, filter out, hey, what is the water monitoring solutions? What companies are they from? How much do they cost? And do they supply my area? That will be filtered straight away. So we're really exciting to be releasing that soon. Yeah, so that's pretty much it and it'll keep changing. Next this year I'm hoping to do field days, ag tech extension, really get more boots on the ground 
And um, yeah, I've already started installing devices. I've had a significant investment in Carathul with a protein and moisture monitor that records live. So you won't have to drive to Grain Corp or wherever as often to try to get your um, protein and moisture sorted so you know where to send your grain. So yeah, it's just trying to reduce those pain points. And it's every single agricultural industry from cutting flowers to livestock to grains to tree crops. It's all of them. I love that you talk about ag tech as there's different types of ag tech because I think when we think about ag tech, we go, oh, the latest monitoring system for this, but it's actually, there's so many different areas. Like you talk about the work health safety and that sort of stuff. It's really intriguing. What sort of are you the most excited for in this program getting to give farmers the exposure to? It's a really basic one and it doesn't sound exciting, but connectivity, but only because I've had farmers come to training and totally change how they see connectivity solutions for their farm. And then I get a phone call a few weeks later saying, my wife can work from home and it's amazing. We have connectivity. She can work from home. She's supported. I know what's going on in the paddock. I can now digitize my entire farm because I have access to things I didn't know about before. And I love that because that opens up the whole world of ag tech. That is my biggest barrier to adoption. So, yeah, I think that connectivity, even though it sounds really basic, because there's options out there that we just aren't taught about, you know, and you don't learn about all the different um, solutions that might be available for your farm that are outside the scope of phone service and satellite. So, yeah, I think that that's my, the one that I'm most excited about is to start hearing more about how people may change their lives and got back more time from just adding connectivity. And with this program, obviously implementing all of these ag tech options, I guess it really is going to help there be more family farms and people who are smaller scope be able to farm for longer through adoption. Is that something that is sort of part of the program and what they're sort of motivated about as well? Yeah, that one's really big. Um, another one is mark, like market competitiveness is huge. So I think that if you don't adopt, then you are going to be left behind. And this will put you in a position where if you're into horticulture, this will put you in a really good step to step up into robotics later on. Like it, it's really exciting. And um, another one is climatic resilience. So we've all seen how extreme the climate's been. I mean, just look at the past three or four years, it has been a really rocky ride. So, you know, implementing devices that save you time, that are tried and proven, that work, you know, that's going to be huge in helping you and your business survive um, the extremes of climate that we're currently facing and that I'm sure we're going to face in future. There is no average year anymore. Yeah, the one that I'm really excited for is to hear about that investment of time. So, if I can get you back more time, if you are on a property that's rather big and you've got 70 troughs to check, and that takes you a massive amount of time. Like some people might take a couple of days to do a water run. If you didn't have to do that, like sure, you're probably going to check it less frequently just to make sure that everything's still working. You might add a camera on a tank or something to make sure that what you're reading is accurate. Where would you invest that time? You could invest it back into your business and then again, become more profitable, become more competitive, become more resilient. You could invest that time into your family or into social pursuits, things that you want to do. Time is money. And I think that farmers really don't often pay themselves enough. Um, time is something that we just do. We take for granted. It's there. And you're a farmer, you've got your own business. So we don't usually pay ourselves. So I think that it's something that is huge that we really is a bit underrated because we don't have that active payment of a wage for a lot of farmers. I hope everyone rewinds 
and listen to that last couple of sentences again because you know who you are and it's most (laughs) of you listening. I couldn't agree more. I think farmers completely undervalue their time and their cost to do things and the value of the ag tech the stuff that you can implement with your program just sounds phenomenal for so many of them. And it's going to be an amazing resource to have someone like you who's so passionate to be on the ground to support these growers and these pastoralists and everyone in between. You're actually, I want to sort of change direction now and talk about the Xander McDonald Award because you're a finalist and that's amazing. I'd love for you to share a little bit of the inside of this opportunity and what it's sort of involved. Yeah, sure. It's been a really amazing opportunity. So the Xander McDonald Award is a trans-Tasman award. It's really prestigious. It's for Australia and New Zealand. There's three finalists selected from each country. They are targeting young professionals in agriculture or young leaders in agriculture, and they want to support them, want you to learn, want you to experience, want you to grow, want you to network. It's a mentoring award. So if you become a finalist, then you get access to 150 names in Australia's top top rural leaders, which is just phenomenal. If you are lucky enough to take out the award, it's a $10,000 package towards that is personalised towards your professional development and learning any courses you want to do. Um, there's also a fully paid trip. So you could pick names off that list of people that you want to see and you want to interact with. And yeah, Xander supports you to go around and visit those people and have those interactions. It's really amazing. I don't think there's anything else quite like it. And yeah, my brother, I hadn't really heard much about it. My brother said to me, why don't you have a crack at it? And I thought, oh, why not? You know, I'll put in a submission. And yeah, I was really shocked when I got the phone call and so humbled that they saw me as somebody that they wanted to support and wanted to help um, network and experience. And yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. So it was a pretty rocky ride for me with Xander though, I won't lie. So when I um, I had the interview in Sydney, all my transport and everything was all booked, all ready to go. Griffith had 100 mils of rain that night and the airport was shut. And I only just made it off farm because the springs were absolutely exploding. I've never seen it like it. The creeks were just rising behind me as I was driving. I was so grateful to be in a four-wheel drive, I would not have made it. And um, in the floodwater, I slipped over and I fully ruptured two ligaments in my ankle. So again, really lucky I got an automatic and I went to Griffith, made it to Griffith, but I was in too much pain to drive to Sydney. So my partner actually took time off and drove me, which is amazing. So I could still have that experience in Sydney, but it was wild because the roads were literally closing behind us as we traveled. So we only just made it. I made it to Sydney wearing one of his shoes on my right foot because it was too swollen to fit in mine. One crutch covered in mud. My car must have been the filthiest in Sydney and rocking up to this really beautiful hotel, getting ready for the interviews the next day. So I thought, oh, well, I think that the worst is over. So the interview can't be nearly as bad as the journey to get to it. So yeah, and it wasn't. The judges were just amazing. They're really beautiful people. They were all quite different skills, quite different experiences, different journeys and have already offered great advice to all of us as finalists. And meeting the other finalists too was really cool, especially coming out of COVID. It's just so nice to see people again. Like, I, you know, I've been out of COVID for a bit over a year now, but I still just feel, wow, I'm so grateful to just see people and interact with people again, especially people like that who are just so lovely and supportive. And yeah, it's just such a thrill to be here. I couldn't agree more. That interaction with people is such a life-changing thing, particularly agriculture. It's such a small industry. If one person doesn't know someone, 
they know someone who knows the other person. And that can just help so much in growing your career, but also in that personal and professional development space. And it's so great to see as a finalist. And I know that you'll do amazing things. I would love to learn a little bit more about your mentoring for women in the Young Rural Women's Competition because obviously you're being mentored yourself, but what does it mean to take that on and then mentor other young women in the space? Yeah, the Young Rural Women's Competition is a really interesting one. Um, I have got a lot of experience with it. I was first runner-up in 2013 at Sydney out of everyone in New South Wales. There's over 800 entrants and Again, super grateful to be there. I worked really hard to get there. It wasn't wasn't an easy ride, but um, yeah, it was just amazing. And it's so special to be able to give back to the people in the competition. And I always get such a thrill, like it's for 18 to 25-year-olds. There's not many competitions targeting young rural women in that age bracket and celebrating their success, even when they're only 18 years old, straight out of school. So like in the past couple of months, you know, I've had girls that I've mentored that are uh, you know, some of the entrants have been accepted into AFL academies in Melbourne. They've been accepted early entry into medical studies. They want to be doctors. And it's just incredible seeing these successes these women have when they're coming out of towns like Hilston or, you know, and it's it's not any way you'd expect to see that caliber of quality of young people coming out. And it's so amazing to mentor them, to help them with obstacles that I might have had when I was younger to help them with the interview process. Like obviously you're quite new to all of that when you're that age. And yeah, I get so much out of mentoring and seeing those young people and go, this is the future and these people are going to do amazing things. It'd be probably a bit weird being mentored myself and mentoring others. But honestly, I think it's really important to have a mentor no matter what stage you are in your career or in your life because it's so easy for us to talk ourselves down, to be humble you know, not go for opportunities. And it's just, that's the easy way to go. And a mentor is somebody who's going to push you to be able to do it. And I think that it's really cool to have that in your life, that advocate for you to do better and to help you with what you might be, what might be your weaknesses and help you focus on your strengths. And yeah, I think that's really, really incredible, um, amazing thing to be able to do. For young women who are listening out there who want to put themselves out there but might be a little bit afraid or they might have not had someone who's supportive, what's your advice for them to go and take part in these programs or like put your name down even if you don't get far, like just giving it a crack? What's your advice? Oh, I think you should 100% give it a crack. I would be reaching out to somebody in the competition to ask them for advice as well. Like they're not going to not talk to you just because they're running it. They're there to help you. They want you to enter. So, you know, there's so many people who will support you on that journey and you should absolutely have a crack because what's the worst thing that can happen? that you don't get the opportunity. But what are you going to learn in the process? I mean, you've had the interview, you've put in a submission, you've had to write stuff down. That is all going to help you when you go for jobs later on as well. So, I think that you can only get wins when you go for opportunities like this. And if you don't get it, that's okay. But why don't you do something like make the time to ask the judges or whoever it might be, hey, what could I have done better? And what did you love that I brought to the table? Um, And that way, next time when you go in, you're probably going to be successful. So yeah, I think it took me three or four cracks to get that success in the Young Rural Woman competition. I didn't get it first go. I just kept trying. So, you know, why not? I had everything to gain and so do you. Just keep going and never give up. That's so, so true. So important. 
I read a manifesto that you sent through earlier that was really, really interesting around gender equality and progressing that in the regions. I would love for you to shed a little bit more light on this and why it's important to you and your thoughts. Yeah, it's a bit of an unpopular opinion, gender equality in the regions. I just, I've grown up in the regions. I've had an incredible experience growing up in the regions. I love living where I live. I love being in agriculture but I just don't think that women have an equal seat to table as men. And it's something that I see time and time again. We just seem to be getting sucked into these stereotypes and these abuses of power. So it might be something really, really subtle, like, um, you know, you can make the tea. I'll give you the domestic tasks that you can do because you'll be good at them because you're a woman. In 1994, that was the first year that women were recognised as being farmers in our census. That's crazy, you know. That's not that long ago. That's less than 30 years ago. And I think that we still get called. I don't. I don't really like the term female farmers because they're farmers. They don't. They're not special because they're female and don't need anything. Like, I just think it's a bit ridiculous to have that term. I know some people are really proud to be that, and I I love you for that. But um, I think that we're farmers. Like there, we don't need to add female. We are farmers. It's like saying female doctor. We shouldn't do it. So our language needs to change. And I think that we need to have these gender equality conversations that aren't making it to the bush. We really need to catch up with the city, I think, because we're just seeing rural misogyny in its mildest forms being wildly accepted or silently suffered. If I bring it up in a conversation with a young woman, and this has happened to me a few times the past couple of months, she will just shrink into herself and just be ashamed or be fearful because to speak up is to suffer repercussions. And I know I'm in a really privileged position. I'm working in a government job. I'm super supported. They don't tolerate anything like that. And that's amazing. And I can call stuff out. Not everybody has that ability. And you do have repercussions. You are punished if you talk about this. And that's not okay. We should have the freedom to be able to discuss the things that are hurting us. And this is something that is really hurting our rural women. So these unconscious biases and abuses of power in our rural, regional and remote areas start at a really young age. They can start with the purchase of a tractor for a boy and a doll for a girl. And this is your role. And you can never change. And it'd be weird if the boy played with a doll or the girl played with the tractor. And I don't think it's going to change anything about those kids' personalities if you let them play with either one. You know, if the girl wants to play the tractor, she can play with the tractor. I've seen a global renowned tractor company, machinery company, bring out a petite pink tractor targeted at women. The message is pretty clear. Girls can't play with the big boys' toys. We need a little pink one instead. And I just get really disgusted at that. I think that we can do so much better. Domestic violence is something that can happen as a result of these abuses of power. Alcoholism is something that can happen. Workaholism, suicide rates, these are all happening because of that stereotype, not only for women, but for men. We see that rugged, tough, stoical Australian male who doesn't have permission to feel anything, doesn't have permission to express emotions. What do you think is going to happen? You know, it's so unhealthy and that's that's how we get those high suicide rates in some circumstances is because they don't have the ability to express emotions. It's not okay to talk about not being okay. It's not okay to do any of that unless you're having a beer at the pub and that's your permission to talk about it. And that's, I just think that we could do so much better than that. It's an interesting topic, isn't it? Because there's a lot of stories that we've heard from women in the regions and there is definitely an inequality there and it's a hard one to navigate. So for women that you're having conversations with, 
what's your experience or what's your perspective on how we should be going about dealing with this inequality? Because I think we've got to be very careful in terms of you're so right. We want to make sure that we don't get anyone offside and that everyone understands. But I often think people jump to the defense really, really quick. Yeah. And and then on the other side is I think women in agriculture don't want to be women in agriculture. We want to be people in agriculture. And that's something on this podcast we've really done in the last year. And if you would listen back, you'll hear we actually aren't highlighting women in agriculture. We're just starting to highlight just people as a yeah. person and what they're doing. So yeah, I would I would just love your opinion, how you think we should be going about sort of targeting or having these conversations. Yeah, I think that I've seen a real need for it, even at a conference that we both attended last year. The last question at that conference was, has anything ever held you back in your career? And this is a conference targeting 18 to 35-year-olds in agriculture. There's a yes side and a no side and you walk to the yes wall or you walk to the no wall. And every single woman in that room, except for those who just left school, were hanging off that yes wall. Yes, I've been held back in my career. And that's really shocking to me that we're seeing that. And in 2022, it'll still be the same this year, I'm sure. So yeah, I think that it's important to have a conversation about it. I think that if we're going to change it, it's important to be respectful of everybody. It's important also to know when you're safe to talk about it because you're not always safe. Like I said, there can be repercussions. People aren't going to want to hear it. People don't want to understand it. I mean, I know that this is going to be very unpopular. I'm not necessarily going to be safe by talking about this on this podcast. I know there's going to be repercussions, but it's incredibly important. And I think that we do deserve an equal seat at the table. We give so much to agriculture and to all the industries that we're involved in. So I think that to change it, I think a safe space for women needs to be created in some way, shape or form where we can talk about these experiences and be safe, where we can share them and go, hey, you know, this happened at work and it wasn't okay. I know there's a stat that says that two-thirds of women in the bush have suffered sexual harassment at work. That's disgraceful. But we don't talk about it. Like it's really rare you hear anybody talk about anything negative to do with sexism or sexual harassment. When I start talking about it, everyone's really shocked. Like, no, that doesn't still happen. So I think having respectful conversations, finding safe places where we can talk about it, And also, I think that I'd love to see more education for men and women, you know, how do we view each other and how do we be respectful towards each other and how do we have healthy conversations about it and how do we move forward? How do we create this change? It's obviously needed. I think you make some great points and I do think that there's always necessary investment in growth and hearing different people's perspectives and understanding that everyone has had a different experience in life and everyone's had a different upbringing and we all have our own experience. And if we're open and we're having these conversations, that's really, really important. And there's a lot of work to be done on both ends. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years, because like you say, there's a lot of conversations happening in the cities, but not so much in the regions. Yeah. And it's scary because it is so common. It is so common for it to happen. It happens to me nearly every day that I go out to work. You have some little instance of sexism. I'm not cranky because I'm hating on men or anything like that. I'm not because it's not their fault. It's a contextual thing that we've all grown up in and it's really hard to break out of that. What scares me about it is what it can lead to. 
those things I mentioned before, domestic violence, where he's a great bloke, he's just a bit controlling, alcohol abuse, depression, suicide, all these things can happen because of our context and that traditional male stereotype and what we've grown up with. And I think that it'll be, it's really important to take a really good look at it and say, is this okay? And is this how we want to lead and how we want to live our lives with these stereotypes still? I think you're so right. Yeah, it's one of those things where we definitely need to question people's behaviour. We need to call it out more and we need to be having conversations, explaining it in a really clear way as to why things are not correct and why that was actually inappropriate because I think that that's half the problem. So, yeah, I think that it's a really great conversation and I'm glad that you are spearheading having this conversation and I think it's really important so that we can provide a safe work and personal environment in the regions and for agriculture for people not just women for people yep for everyone for a collective and it doesn't just come back to equality in terms of that sort of sexism behavior it comes down to everything like there's just in all honesty, it's probably a full like behavioral thing where, yeah. you know, we just want everyone to treat each other better and, and that can be done and we can all have a little bit of a reflection and look in the mirror and do better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really exciting because there's so much change that we can implement in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many people already having these conversations and doing the work. And I think that's really exciting to see. And I think it's going to be not too far away before we see more. So that's really promising. I'd love to know you're busy doing all of this amazing stuff and you're really passionate about gender equality and you're working on all of these different programs. What motivates you? What keeps you going? What keeps you excited when you're all over the place doing a hundred different things? Yeah, it always comes back to the same thing. I've mentioned it a lot in this podcast. I'm really sorry to say it all the time, but I love creating change. It's like an inner purpose I've got. I can't help but do it. So wherever I go, if I see something that I can change, I'm all over it. I just love it. So it's led me to some really interesting experiences. Like um, in 2020, I identified that we had a massive issue affecting the outback station I was on with a gas proposal. I united communities in the outback that would never have talked to each other from Indigenous to people at the schools, to people in the council, to the landholders. We all got together, created an alliance and we won. We abolished the proposal within six months and that's crazy. And it was exhausting, but what kept me going was I can create change. And even if I don't, then I've given us a much stronger position to bargain from and that's even a change. So in my job, I'm creating change. I'm increasing uptake of ag tech and maybe I'll change someone's life and how they turn up to work because of it. You know, you just don't know. So that's what gets me up every morning is that today, what changes can I make and how do I improve the world around me and what else can I do? And I just love it. Yeah. I definitely know that about you because I know we didn't spend too much time, but we briefly spent time at the conference together and you just wanted to know what everyone was doing. And you just, <laughs> you've just got this like, I'll disclaimer and say, I don't think I was feeling the best that day and it wasn't because I was sick and I'm sure people who are smart can put two and two together. But anyway, you are so vibrant and you're so excited. And I think when you've got that sort of vibrance and energy and passionate sort of growth about you, you're going to just create change wherever you go because that energy is so contagious and it's so special. That's sort of my next lead into my next question. I want to know what's the future look like for you? Where are you going? What's the career trajectory? What are you envisioning for yourself? 
Yeah, it's such a cool question. Um, in I'll just start going in the past a little bit. In 2020, I had a really traumatic experience and it changed my life, changed my trajectory. I feel like I blew up my life as a result of that experience. I won't go into details, but it led me on my current career trajectory and um, I'm creating a new future for myself that I hadn't envisioned before. I don't know still exactly what it's going to entail, but I think that Xander McDonald is such an interesting part of that now. Like it's it's part of my journey and I can't wait till the conference in March and I get to meet all of these amazing leaders in agriculture because I think a lot of doors are going to open and I think that it is going to help me define that trajectory and create those changes and meet the people I need to meet to really excel. So I think that it's still coming. I think that the future is not set in stone and I'm just really excited to see what comes as a result of this opportunity. Oh, that's so exciting. It's so amazing. I think that it's really, really great and exciting to see what you do as an individual and how much that can create that change too. And that's really, really special to see. For an overall perspective on the ag industry, what is your hopes for the future there? Where are you hoping to see ag in the next 20 years? In the next 20 years, oh, I think we're going to see some massive changes in the tech side of things in the next 20 years. We already have in the past 20 years. It is crazy what we've come to. But what I really hope to see is I want that equal seat at the table for women or people, as you say. Like I want everybody to have a seat at the table who is, you know, deserving of having a seat at the table. It shouldn't matter about your context. It shouldn't matter about what gender you are. It shouldn't matter if you identify as, you know, LGBTQIA+, it doesn't matter because, you know, having a wide range of experiences that you can bring to a table can really inform a company and create amazing decisions and an amazing path forward. So, I would love to see more of that and I think we're going to see it in the next 20 years. I don't know how much, but I'd love to see a significant shift in our industry with regards to that. I think that is definitely the writing on the wall. So, let's just hope that it comes to fruition. With that, we always ask our guests, Sarah, where are they best to find you? If they want to reach out, what is the go? Where do they go? What do they need to do? Yeah, sure. So I'm on LinkedIn, um, Sarah Grote, and pretty active on Instagram as well. So you can send me a DM and I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Awesome. Sarah, thanks for taking time out of your busy life. I really appreciate it. It's actually been so great to chat with you this evening. And yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast. No, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.